0: So yesterday, I had the opportunity to watch my son play in a high school soccer tournament. Uh, it was up in Jeff City, and I had hit the road, and I was driving up there. as yesterday morning, and I got, oh, about halfway up when I got my, felt my phone buzz, and it goes off. And I get a text from Kevin alerting me to the, 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 the situation. So it's like, Okay, now what am I going to do here? Do I do I turn back home and go back and you know work on continuing to pre- prepare something or work on a, on a message, or do I just forge ahead? He had given me a little warning that earlier in the week that there was a chance, but i had been praying that he would do well and that, that things, <laughs> yeah, he would yeah, he would be up here. But anyway, no, I, I mean I'm thankful to have the opportunity, but nonetheless. I, I decided, I, said, I talked to Chris on the phone, I was like, you know, I think I'm just, I'm already halfway, I'm just going to pray, and you know, I'll, I'll listen to a scripture too that I've been thinking through anyway, and I'll just listen to it in the, in the car as I go, and just see what the Lord lays on my heart as I drive, it's two hours, two and a half hours by myself, so a good time with the Lord, anyway. Uh, I forged on, and as I drove, I turned my phone on to play a, a passage in the scriptures. It's always been a, a very profound section of scripture to me, and to many a theologian, by the way. Many theologians have spent, a, you know, better part of their life, you know, or their lives studying this particular chapter. It's the 39 verses, but it's it's chocked full of massive import for us looking both zooming out at the beginning of before the foundation of the world and then zooming into what Christ did on the cross and then zooming in today of how we can live uh, by his spirit and then zooming forward to a future hope. Uh, and I and I turned this chapter on repeat and I just let it go and I let it go and I let it go. And I listened to it over and over and sort of let it sort of sink in. I, I'd encourage you to do that sometimes if you ever want to just listen to the Lord's word and 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 listen to it, truly put your ears in sort of a listening mode in your heart. Anyway, in the middle of this chapter, I heard this statement, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And I and I heard that section. In fact, I'd even sort of reached down my phone and tried to rewind back and replay a certain section of this chapter, and I heard it again and again, noting this call, this call to have a to have a hope in, in something that's unseen, uh, and then to live now with this perseverance, waiting eagerly for this unseen reality. So I drove on, and eventually I got to the game, and I arrived at the field about. Three or four minutes into the game. And as I was walking in, I glanced up at the scoreboard and I noticed that my son's team, he plays for for Nixa, they were already down 1 0. And if you've ever watched soccer, I mean, sometimes soccer, I mean, just getting one goal is a big deal. And sometimes games end at 1 0. Uh, and, and that's actually a reason why a lot of people in the U.S. don't like the game. They figure it needs more scoring, or you know, used to like 49 to 27 or something. But <laughs> soccer, like 1-0, you watched it for 90 minutes? and you're Anyway, that's, enough, that's another discussion. But nonetheless, it was 1-0 within a matter of minutes. And so I was like, well, that is not a good way to start a soccer game. And, and I sat down with the other Knicks of parents, and and I asked one, I said, Well what happened? He goes, it was ugly. That's all that's all he said. He goes, it was ugly. You don't want to know about it. And so then I, I progressed to watch. You know, and you you generally watch your own child a little bit more when they're out there on the field, see, how are they doing? Are they what what are they doing? And and I began to notice that it, like, he doesn't seem to have quite the he's starting to lose a little of the 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 drive and the and a little by little, you know, it was this. Move from discouragement began to set in. You could see, and a little bit of frustration. Nothing was working, and you try something, and, he, and you know you're like, you know, you could see the the visible signs of frustration setting in, um, and then disappointment. Uh, and you know, I wanted to run out. The, y'all, y'all want to run out when you see that, and you're like, no, 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 don't, don't go down that path. Let's turn it around. Let's turn it around. But, but, uh, but. Of course, you sit there sort of helpless in the stands, just sort of watching. Every once in a while, I'll try to yell out just so he knows, he hears my voice, he knows I'm there. But nonetheless, I sat there and I watched and I saw as that despair and sort of frustration set in and perseverance began to sort of fade away and the writing was on the wall Uh, And I won't tell you what the final score was. I'll save you the, the grief. Let's just say it was still a zero on one half of the scoreboard. The other half wasn't quite still at one. But anyway, it was a higher number. But it struck me as I sat there, and I remembered the words of this great chapter that I'd just listened to over and over. That we too, he says in this chapter, are in a challenging situation. In a situation where it's easy to get discouraged to lose hope but we need to hope and and our hope in this chapter in the bible it's not like a game or like the chiefs or a soccer game where you're you're hoping for what might be but then again it very well may not be that way either right this hope that he's talking about here is a confident expectation something that you can take to the bank type of thing that you can hope in that we wait eagerly for that's the kind of hope he's talking about and we'll look at this in a second further, but if we zoom back out, we find the statement in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Uh, Solomon writing in wisdom says, he, speaking of God, has also set eternity in their heart, speaking of all of mankind, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So there's a picture that Solomon's painting that there's something within all man that realizes there's something b- bigger, something beyond, something future, something that has an eternal uh, aspect to it. And yet he's also made it to your everyday natural man that it's not really, it's very clouded. It can't really see the beginning from the end, but there's something within all humans that say there's something bigger here. Uh, and that's true for all mankind. But what about us for, as believers? We too have that same, you know, eternity in our heart, but it builds. It builds because we can read and find out deeper truths. And he does reveal more and more about his plan to us as believers. And then we hope in these things, such as Philippians 3.20, we find a statement, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in the new Testament that we're sitting here understanding that our citizenship is in heaven and we're waiting his return. That is one small glimpse of a future hope that we begin to see as believers. And, but you have to face the question, do you really believe these things? Do you really believe these things that we are called to put our hope and our foundation in? And you could ask yourself, what really are my hopes, my confident expectations? Uh, and then how do these hopes motivate you or move you as you walk on this earth? Um, or, or perhaps, do they motivate you? I hope you'd say, yes, they motivate me. Because the Bible makes that these should be the things that we continue to look towards as our motivation and our perseverance is based on these things. Um now we find this statement in Romans 8:24 so uh, the chapter i was speaking about earlier is Paul's incredible chapter 8 to the Roman church the church in Rome he says in 8:24 for in hope we have been saved get that this confident expectation is what we've been saved into but hope that is seen is not hope for, for who hopes for what he already sees But if we hope for what we we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it, right? We wait eagerly for it. The word hope, again, is a confident expectation. But if you already see it, it's no longer an expectation. That's what he's trying to say. This is a confident expectation of something you can't see, but it is a present reality one day you will fully get to see and realize. And it goes perfectly with what the writer of Hebrews 11 uh, stated, Uh, In the first verse, we've been studying it with the men's group. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a foundational aspect about faith. And we know it's impossible to please God without this thing called faith, to have this conviction of things unseen. And so I want us today to consider a few incredible realities from this eighth chapter of Romans. Uh, Again, it's 39 verses. You probably read novels that are 20 times as long, or something. I mean, you know, it's but it's incredibly packed, and it's so deep that you we could spend months talking about just the first quarter of it, and then another quarter, spent another month, and then the next quarter, but we're not going to do that, so you don't have to worry about that, so we're not going to go there today, but I am going to try to sort of look at some high-level things. We're going to see some aspects of what God has already done for us, then we're going to look at what God is doing in us now, and then we'll see a, a little picture painted as to what God will do in the future And again, these are foundational truths in this section of scripture, uh, without which if we didn't have this type of scripture, we could easily lose our bearings. You could easily get discouraged, not have a good, confident expectation, something to focus on. And so let's dive into Romans chapter eight. I'm going to start out 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Speaking of unregenerate unbelievers. So first, as we dive into chapter 8, we need to note that Paul picks up with the sin problem that he's been hammering on in chapters 6 and 7. If you've never studied Romans. Now, six and seven are awesome chapters, and they're neat to go study in particular because you got start looking at the language in the Greek, and you find out every time, almost every time he talks about sin, he puts an article in front of it. The sin. The sin. The sin problem. Uh, Not sins like your actual act, but the sin problem that mankind face. That's what the subject is. And how is God going to deal with it? Six tells us, chapter six, about how God is, we've died with Christ and now we've risen with him to this newness of life. And how we've now, instead of being enslaved and in bondage to sin, now we are enslaved to righteousness. Enslaved to God. And then in chapter 7, you remember, Paul said, he's giving this to us, showing his own struggle. How is he struggles still seen in his members in the flesh. This very thing that he doesn't want to do. And he struggles with it. And he says in 715. I am doing the very thing I hate. Talking about the sin issue. And then here he comes in chapter 8. And he just pounds here. He just nails right off the bat. With this incredible reality. That as believers in Christ. We are no longer condemned. But we have been set free. From the law of sin and death. And Pause here for a second. Notice this is just a clear statement of reality. It's not an if statement that, oh, if if you work well enough, then you're no longer condemned. There's no works here. He says there now. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, that is a powerful statement. It's not based on some list of works that we continually have to try to do and earn our salvation back. And in these opening verses that I just read, he lays forth some very profound truths about God's big plan going all the way back with the law. And he says, number one, God had to do something that the law could not do. Legalism and following laws could not get the job done, he said. Number two, God has to somehow, and he did, make it possible for us now to live a holy life through his spirit. We've talked about holiness in the past. It's not, we're not I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Holiness is absolute separateness, perfection, and being absolutely unique. Like the Lord is unique in, and free from sin. He's made it such that we can walk that way. And Number three, the reason the law couldn't do it, he said, is because it was weak. It, would, it had to do with our, it, it, our flesh had a problem here because of a flesh problem. And thus number four, God had to come up with a plan apart from the law. He says that in Romans 3:21, "But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And then number five, God had a purpose in all of this. And this was to deal with the sin problem as it is connected to our flesh, so that He did that, doing so at the cross, through Christ, dying. In the flesh. For our sins. So that sin would no longer have rights. Or power. Or authority over us. That we can now have the opportunity. To walk not by the demands. Of the sinful flesh. But by the Holy Spirit. Which is what he then pounds on. In the following verses. And that brings us to what he is doing now. Today. We can now. Fulfill, he says, God's righteous law. Did you catch that? To fulfill God's law in us? You would have thought it would have said in Christ. But he says, We now can walk and fulfill the law. Did you catch that in the beginning of the chapter? But that's only available by walking by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body. And he says in twelve, so then, brethren, eight, twelve, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the, that's the big dichotomy. You, you choose to walk by the spirit. You have an opportunity as a believer through the work of Christ to walk by the spirit. Can you do that? Yes. Will you do it? It's a daily endeavor to submit your will to the spirit of the Lord. Uh, But it's an incredible opportunity that he's given us. Then he goes on. He gives us this confirmation of our position and our inheritance. Giving us the spirit of adoption. He says in verse 14. For all who are being led by the spirit of God. These are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery. Leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons. By which we cry out. Abba. Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, little less, that we truly are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. Now, Paul states here, he's just rolling. He's firing on all cylinders, as I like to look at when Paul writes these things when the Spirit's moving in his heart. He states that as believers with the Spirit We no longer live with a spirit of bondage or slavery, but he's given to us a spirit of adoption. Say, well, that's a, what are the differences between a spirit of fear and slavery versus a spirit of adoption as sons? These are radically different approaches. Well, one way you'd look at a spirit of fear is just read the old Testament Israel. How did they have to approach the Lord? In great fear. They would tremble. Once a year. One guy. And he might be struck down. And the law was involved in this. And the law was in that ark. And it was like. And did we. And we have to make this covering. Because we might be struck down. And we saw it. I mean you see it with a guy like Uzzah. just one day. And he's struck down. And it was a state. It was a a, a spirit of fear and bondage. To something that they struggled to ever be able. To walk and live out. And then you look at the other one, the spirit of adoption as sons. This is an incredible thing. If you are a son and a true descendant of someone that of absolute power and authority and wealth and influence and magnificence and splendor and a king, you would be like, yes, I'm in an incredible position as, an, as, a, as a son to this person. And then as a, and you get a picture of a father-son relationship and you know, if you've raised kids, you sort of at times have these two roads you can go down. I'm going to rule them with the iron fist and they will, they will respond and they will respond in fear. That's an option. And, and parents have done that before, but I would choose to rather have the father son relationship that's described here that yes, you're guiding. Yes, you're having to discipline at times. But you're striving to have a relationship where they can come up and say, Abba, Father, you know, and, and talk one-on-one about an issue or a struggle. I got a call from one of my kids, at, at Brandon, that recently graduated uh, and was up at the university here in town, Missouri State. And he called me and I could tell right off the bat, I was like, this is a little, he's got something on his heart here that we need to talk about. And you, I don't know if you've ever had those sort of calls. You, you can tell. Oh, this isn't just a call about did you watch the Chiefs game or something. This is, this is something of, of some significance. And, I, and so we talked it through. And that's a spirit of, of this father-son adoption sort of situation. The huge difference that we have been given a spirit of adoption and not fear uh, and slavery. And and Paul just keeps rolling with this. He says that his spirit, capital S, testifies with our spirit, little s, that we truly are children of God. And then he goes through, you could have stopped there. And they go, oh, that's incredible. Children of God. But then he goes on and says, and oh, by the way, heirs also. Incredible. Oh, by the way, heirs of God. Speaking of the Father. And hopefully at that point, you blow a fuse because you should be thinking, that is incredible that I am an heir of God himself. I am actually called a son of God. You might be saying, well, some translations like to put son and daughter. Sons in, the, in God's economy and the old, they had a priority right. Every one of you is in a position of priority rights with the, with the father as an heir now, not to say there aren't sons and daughters, I'm just making a, a cool point that every single believer is given the title of being an inheritor and an heir of God the Father. And you look at this, and I at one, you know, that's not said, by the way, of any angel, cherub, or seraphim. Never is it stated that they're an heir of God the Father in this this manner. And I had one commentator said, if a man is really a child of God, by beginning and birth, he becomes indissolubly God's heir. And just as Jesus told Nicodemus, one must be born again to see the kingdom. And Nicodemus struggled with it, couldn't quite figure it out. But we also know in in John 1, 12, it says, but as many as received him, speaking of Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, get this, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, they were born of God. That is an incredible reality the world will tell you, oh, we're all children of God. That isn't what the Bible teaches. He's given the right to those who have believed in his name. He's given them and only them the right to be truly children of God, born of God. That is an incredible reality that Paul hits for us to see. That is a position that we're in now. And then you say, well, What does this chapter have to say about what he's going to do in the future? And this idea of hope that we started out with. He goes on in 17. If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed Of the children of God. For we know. That the whole creation groans. And suffers the pains of childbirth. Together until now. And not only this. But also we ourselves. We ourselves. Having the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Waiting eagerly. For our adoption. As sons. The redemption of our body. And then we get it for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So in 17 here, Paul makes a statement that he believes that those that are genuinely heirs of Christ and fellow heirs alongside, or sorry, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, they will suffer in a like way that he did. So that one day, did you catch this? One day, they too will be glorified with him. That we will be glorified with them. And did you catch in verse 18, Paul said that I consider the sufferings of this brief stay on the earth not worthy to be compared to the glory that would be revealed to us. This word reckon here, considered, is one of Paul's favorites, logizomai, which means to reckon, to count, to compute, to calculate. It's used of matters of fact, like a, your, your bank account, reckoning your bank account. It's not used of hypotheticals, and oh, it might be this way. He's saying, I've done the math. I've calculated it up. I have come to a final tabulation and the reckoning is this that the suffering that you face in this present age doesn't even compare to the what i've calculated is the mathematical massive amount of glory that i see coming to you the saints of god and he says there is a time now of suffering pathema which is a a very broad word a time of hardship or pain that is undergone. It can be a word that means external pay, things that happen in your life. Could be internal, just anguish or concern. It could be a misfortune, a calamity, an affliction. Sometimes we read these verses, oh, it's only talking about persecution. No, this is any type of anguish, suffering, misfortune, just a, something that's weighing heavy on you. It's, it's a struggle on this earth, he's saying. That's what it's like. And what does this tell us about God about Paul's Present time, he says, "I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory. Well we know from Second Corinthians 11, that Paul was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, various dangers. He had to labor hard. He had hardships, he said. He had sleepless nights. He went without food at times. He went without water, he said, at times he was thirsty. He went through cold times when he didn't have enough. To stay warm. He said he went through exposure, implying that he didn't even have enough to wear. Uh, he had, and then he closes his day, And I had this daily pressure of the con, just being concerned for the churches that he faced. And that was his day and age. In Galatians 1 4 says, speaking of Christ, who gave himself for our, our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. In Ephesians 5:16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The reality is we live in a time period where we face tribulation in the world. But the Lord said, take courage. I've overcome the world, right? But nonetheless, we have to walk and traffic through a season and a, and a time period of darkness. And I believe the day that Paul faced isn't that much different than what we see outside our doors. We face a season right now with pestilence and problems and turmoil in our country and, and fighting amongst people in our, in our culture and people that want to take a stand for something uh, that may be biblical, they're shunned, they might even be, I've, I've read of, of things happening with even legal action. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different things happening around us. And then there's just the daily pressures that we face as living in this earth suit you know, in this fallen world around us uh, and yet at this very moment then Paul sort of all of a sudden it's like he pulls the gear shift and he goes let, but let, let me show you something here. something's going to be revealed one day. there's something that that is that the, the glory that is to be shown is so much bigger than these anguishes and these these struggles here on the earth and he says, the, uh, there's going to be an uh, apocalypto or an apocalypsis. He uses two words, similar Greek words, back to back in two verses here, saying there's going to be an unveiling one day. There will be a, a taking back of the cover, if you imagine it this way, and then every, every, it'll be all visible to see. Have you ever had something that you really wanted to see or open or do and you had to wait for it? You had to wait for it. Perhaps it was when you were a child and you're just anxious to open. You see a gift. And I mean, I'm wondering what's in it. You're shaking it and trying to figure it out, and you know, you, you're, you, the anticipation builds. Well, our world does this around us as well. Uh, we, we build up these big reveals. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a car guy. I like old Dodsons and Nissans and things, and so I like I like the old Z cars. And so, and of course, Google, because they track everything I ever search, they know that I'm a Datsun guy. And so regularly I get my phone goes off and they'll say, Nissan's coming out with a new Datsun or new, new Z car. Have you heard about Joel? Have you heard about the Proto-Z? You know, and, and they just keep dangling it in front of me. And and of course it was right in the middle of COVID where they wanted to build this big buzz, you know, and the, and the company didn't release a lot. They just gave it little things. And people, they, they even search the patent database. I don't know if you've ever seen it. They say, oh, Nissan filed a, a patent trademark for this unique Z shape. They must be working on a new Z. And there's all this anticipation that they try to build, right? And then the day came and they, they do this big reveal and they, people fly in and watch this thing. And they, they did it live and big countdown. And I. To be totally honest, I don't even know why I'm building this up because it was a huge, it was actually sort of a huge disappointment. I was like, the car is okay. It's a, you know, you you get sort of, you get sort of, you know, you get let down when you turn to these things. But we also see it in the movie world. I, I work in the cinema industry. So we go out to these big trade shows. And whenever we go to the trade shows, all the big studios are bringing their product reel. And their product reel is nothing more than little clips from their big blockbuster movies that they've invested you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars and and they're showing them to movie theater owners and to other people within the industry to try to build anticipation over, you know, Black Widow or or Top Gun. And they'll do these things, I'll I'll walk around and have all these sign, and they'll bring in their celebrities, and they'll be signing this stuff, and I'm usually just sort of a peon in the back, just sort of walking, just sort of, well, I'm sort of an engineering nerd, but anyway, so, you know, I don't really traffic with it, I just sort of, I'm not allowed to go to the high roller stuff, but I, but nonetheless, I sort of look over, they build the anticipation for this reveal, right, and then, and sometimes people even try to go catch, and get on their phone a little glimpse, and then put it on the internet, and they get busted for it, but nonetheless, you try to build the anticipation. Well, Paul says there's going to be a massive, a massive reveal, an, a, a massive apocalypse or an uncovering. And I believe a day is coming when the sons of God, the heirs of God and the fellow heirs of Christ, the genuine believers will one day be fully revealed with Christ when he is revealed. And we know a little bit about the timing of this. A little. Colossians 3.3 3 says. For you have died. And your life is hidden. In Christ. That's a word that means concealed. Or covered up. In Christ. But when Christ who is our life. Is revealed. Made visible. Then you also will be revealed. Or made visible. With him. Get this. In glory. And 2 Thessalonians 1.10. When he comes. To be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed that is a picture of us joining in this reveal of the son of God and us sharing in this glory now glory in the new testament a word used of a positive opinion that that results in praise and honor and glory it's also a word that can be used of splendor, of brightness, of majesty, of excellence, of preeminence, of exterior glowing or brightness. Peter, James, and John got to catch just a glimpse. They were the ones that were privy to the sneak peek of the product reel of what was going what will happen what Paul's talking about. When on the mountain with him while they were praying, praying in Luke 9:29, all of a sudden, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming, like lightning, that word means. And behold, two men were talking with him. And they were Moses and Elijah, who, get this, appearing in glory. They were there shining with him. Were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. This will be an incredible unveiling. An unveiling that Paul says, the entire creation of God eagerly awaits this revealing and anxiously longs for it. He uses that terminology as well. Have you ever thought that the animal kingdom around you and the creation you see around you actually is looking forward To a glorious unveiling of the saints. And of the son of God himself. To see you. In your glory. As a saint. As one of the sons of God. For those that are chosen and called. And believe in him. They're looking forward to that. The creation is. God's creation is awaiting something huge. Don't let the scientist fool you. The scientist will tell you we figured out what happened a million years ago. And we've figured out what's going to happen a million years as we head down this path of doomsday. And, and we know everything that's going to happen in between. And they don't. They don't know this reality that you as believers, if you're reading this with me, you say, there's something that will happen with the creation. With the creation that I see outside my door. It will revel in the glory of the sons of God, of us, when we are revealed in in glory alongside Christ. Um, And he goes on and he states that this creation now is in this state where they're they're in the state of subjected to futility. This word meaning vanity or emptiness. And it wasn't of their own will, Paul said that they were subjected to it. It was God's will. It was his plan. And he had a purpose for the creation as well. He mentions the purpose that they would have a hope in this confident expectation that the creation itself will be set free, he says, from its own slavery to corruption, which is a word for decay and ruin, and they will be set free into the freedom of the glory of the children of God as they see the glory of the children. They too will be set free. What a glorious thought. Yeah, hallelujah, to see and know that the animals that for centuries and centuries have been subjugated to this endless cycle of giving birth and reproduction and then dying and and decaying as a result of what? Genesis three, man's sin. And they didn't do this by their own will. God subjected it to on this, on them in his will so that when Christ is unveiled and that we are unveiled with him, then the magnificent creatures of all sizes and shapes will be ushered along into freedom from this, this slavery and corruption. And we'll see and get to witness the glory of God himself and the sons of God walking alongside. Have you ever cried over a dog or a pet cat that has passed on? I have. It's happened. I have got Cody, Boo, uh, you know, Conroy. I got, I got, these are my, the, the animals. That, and then would you know that I actually cried once for a small sculpin fish about this big. You know, a sculpin is a fish that lives in these Ozark creeks. And I would go out with the kids and we caught several local fish I don't know if you really. maybe I shouldn't put this on the record. Maybe the De- Department of Conservation might come get me. But nonetheless, I put some into an aquarium, and we loved watching them, and we'd feed them. And stuff. But the sculpin was a unique little creature. He would live at the bottom. They don't have an air bladder, so they can't levitate in the water like all other fish. They just sink to the bottom. And they're just all mouth and a tiny little body. And there's thousands of them right you know, around these creeks. We'd probably drive down here to Wilson's Creek. Nonetheless, they're carnivorous, and I didn't know that at first, so we, I just saw fish disappearing magically out of the tank. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I got there, I was like, wow, this little guy is, he's a beast. I mean, this thing is like, and you, I would go and I'd buy some other little, I, I hate to say this too, but I'd go buy goldfish at the, at the store, and I would put them in the little bag, you know, you're supposed to equalize the water temperature before you drop them in, and that's Sculpin, I'm not, I'm not joking, he had these big, large pectoral fins, and he would push up and he would look up at that, that little goldfish, and he couldn't get there. But, none, and then eventually I would release that goldfish. And within a matter of a few hours, goldfish is gone, it's gone, it's gone. Nonetheless, you know, and, that, and that's the inevitable cycle of reproduction and death and reproduction and death. But one day the bell came tolling for my little friend, the Sculpin fish and and i noticed i found that he had taken on something he couldn't quite devour and his mouth wasn't quite big enough and so he he died and and i and i and i sat there and i and i netted the sculpin out of the tank and, and he was starting to get you know rigor mortis he was starting to stiffen up and the whole thing and then i was sad and i was like you know i'm going to go out and i actually got a little shovel out and went outside dug a small hole And I buried the Sculpin. And I said, Lord, thank you for the Sculpin. (laughs) I I know I'm spitting. But nonetheless, I said, thank you, Lord, for the Sculpin. Because, you know, the reality is we, we see the animals around us. And they suffer. And they go through this continual cycle that never ends. And yet, one day, they will be set free. And then Paul gets to something that's a lot closer to home. He gets to us, he says that we like the creation, we too groan within ourselves. We also wait eagerly for something, just like he used the exact same wording he said about the creation, we too eagerly await something. And he says, this is our adoption as sons, and he goes to clarify what that means. We've already given him a spirit of adoption now, but he says the full realization of that adoption will be the redemption of our bodies our bodies now are weak. They're frail. They experience pain. They experience decay. They also undergo the same cycle of reproduction and and then eventually returning to the dust from whence it came. But we know as believers from 1 Corinthians 15, 42, speaking about the resurrection, that he says our bodies Are sown a perishable body. But it will be raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And that's what we eagerly look forward to. With great anticipation. And today we in the spirit. We are redeemed. Right? And yet our bodies are not fully redeemed yet. And that's what he said. We're looking forward to the redemption of our bodies to the praise and glory of God. And thus this groaning and this eager anticipation looking forward to this future revealing of this incredible glory. And like many things in God's word, it's a, it's a aspect of it's here, but not yet. How many times do we find it's here, but not fully yet. And one day I'm confident That I will expect my confident expectation is to have a new, fully redeemed body. And understand for certain that this sort of faith and confident expectation, not based upon something that I see. I don't see any of that. But it's a conviction of things that I don't see. And thus then Paul says, and because of that, now you walk in perseverance. Knowing that that's what you're looking forward to. Walk with hupomone. Hupomone hupomone, a word that Paul loves and Christ loves. It's a word that if you study the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, it's one of the key attributes that, that God, Christ says, I want to see this in my churches. I want to see hupomone, the ability to carry a load, hupo meaning under, mone, bearing up a load. He wants to see that. He wants to build that into us. And he's saying that's how we walk on this earth by hupomone in a time right now where we're suffering. There's groaning. We are are awaiting something that we look forward to, but we walk now in hupomone. The load can be heavy. The groaning can be deep. And the eager expectation, anticipation that builds has to build more and more each year as you grow older on this earth. But this is our time This is our time. This is our opportunity to walk out and live in this situation of faith. Have you ever considered that this moment in in this time and place is your moment to live and walk in faith? It's an opportunity to walk in faith. The angels walk by seeing God, we walk. In a situation where we do not see him and yet we believe him. And thus by doing that, it says it's a testimony to the angels to see people that can't even see God. That are willing to walk their whole lives and maybe even go to their death because of what they believe. And this is our time. Other people have come before us. My gran- grandmother, Grandma Butler, she's gone to be with the Lord. She walked in faith. We can read about great cloud of witnesses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Yeah, amen, awesome people. But this is our time. This is a time when you've been given a brief stint in this time on the earth a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. Will you take that time to walk in faith when you can't see him, but you know he's real? You know these promises are true and it motivates you. And, when, and, and you know that he'll get the job done in the end. There will be times of groaning, times of testing our faith, as James said, that are meant to develop endurance within us and, and to show forth as a witness to those around us. Think of Job. He lost everything. Let me back up. He had everything in the world's eyes, and then he lost everything. And you'd say, why? And that's what you're meant to ask. And the answer to that. They, mankind tries to give the answer. And I believe that's the whole purpose of the book of Job. Man trying to give an answer as to why the suffering, Job. I got it figured out. Why the suffering in 2020? I got it figured out. And God says, you don't have it figured out. It's beyond you, Job. You can't see the very fact that I had a conversation with the evil one, the Satan, and that the angels were watching. The angels were watching you, Job. You can't even see that, and no man will be able to give you that, that understanding without God revealing it to, to us as he did in this great book of Job. But we as believers, we groan, the animals groan, and we need to walk in faith, perseverance, trusting that the Lord has this. And in doing so, we can be an example to those around us. You know, I have a friend of mine that... Uh, he too, you know, came back down a few months back, but it was mid-summer actually now, with COVID. And it hit him very, very hard. And he's only a few years older than me. He grew up in the house next door. He was my brother's best friend. He had a little brother that was my age, so his little brother was like my best friend. And this guy that I'm talking about that came down with COVID here three or four months ago, uh, named Jim. Jim was, I called him Jimmy as a kid. He's Twice my size, chiseled. I mean, the guy is just, I mean, he's, he was incredibly good at, at, at athletics. He was an incredible soccer player. He played D1 football. He was a kicker. He could kick 60-plus-yard field goals. He kicked for, a, like I said, Division I school. I won't mention it because they're not a very good football school, but nonetheless. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, he was an incredible athlete. And, but when we were kids, and, and the reason I tell this story, let me back up. At that game yesterday, watching my son Andrew, I'm leaving the game and I hear a voice, Joel, Joel, hey Joel. And was, I, I turn around, and I saw a gal that I hadn't seen in years and it was this guy's wife. Her, their, their son was playing in the game right after Andrew's. And so I, I sat and I talked to her and I said, well, how did you tell me about this COVID? What happened? And that's when she was telling me uh, something that really struck me as being particularly sad in light of this groaning. And that was... He's, he's lost so much strength. And, 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 and she said, you remember how strong he, he was and he's lost almost all of that. And I, and I said, I, and "I told her right then and there, and I'll tell you, I remember as a kid playing soccer in the back and they would say, Joel, we want you to just play goalie back there because we just want to shoot, kick the ball as hard as we can at you and see how you're going to fare. <laughs> but anyway, I would stand back there and then along would come Jimmy and I'm not joking. When he would rear back, I've never had a, a ball coming at him. I would, of that speed and that velocity, and I would just dive out, you know, out to the side. Because, I mean, if it hit me, you, you can see the way I'm built, it would probably immediately break several bones. Nonetheless, I would jump out of the way, it would nail the wood fence, and it would render the fence broken and inoperable as well. He got in trouble with his dad several times because of the, the broken, you know, fence parts. But anyway, Jim was the epitome of strength and, and the ability to kick, and, and Leanne said to me yesterday, he said, Joel, he went out with his, his sons, they have like a father-son PK shootout, his son, and he, and he took two, he tried to walk up there, and hobble up to take two shots, and he could, and he was in pain for, for days as a result of this, he's like, I, you know, couldn't believe, you can't even hardly get a shot off, I tell you this story, because we go through this, Life sometimes doesn't go the way we expect. Did Jim expect to get COVID? I don't think so. Uh, Everything was going well for him before. He's a physician, nice family, nice house. And then he comes down with this situation. We don't know what's around the corner. Does the marriage always work out the way we want? Does the job always work out the way we want? Does the situation that we're expecting something always work out on this earth? It doesn't. There's groanings that we undergo uh, I actually also went back to visit my old church every once in a while. I'll go back there, and I'll see faces from when I was a kid, like my my kids' age here. Like, they would be like you to them in 25 years, and and I would go back to that church and I'll see faces that are now 25, 30 years older, and I recognize them. But I but a lot's changed, right? The the church has changed, and people have gone to be with the Lord and. And you begin to realize that this time that we have as a body of believers at Christ Community Church is our opportunity. Those pictures that you looked at at the beginning of all the survey day, there will come a day in 25 years, 30 years. from now, People will look back. My kids might find some of the, say, oh, I remember that guy. I remember that. And this is our time. This is our time to act and walk in faith. Hezekiah, I'm going to close with this so we can go. I know I'm over, but Hezekiah was a guy, a great king. But one day he got the bad news from the doctor. Not really. In this case, it was a prophet of God named Isaiah. But Isaiah came and said, it was a physician of all physicians, came and said, prepare your house, Hezekiah. You're going to die. And when you get that kind of news, you say, well, you know, how am I going to handle this? And what am I going to? How am I going to respond in this this land of the living when I, when the fears and the pressure comes on like this? He said in 30, Isaiah 38:10, "I said, Hezekiah, in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord." The Lord in the land of the living. Get that. He's saying he won't see the Lord. Even though you don't see him. But he realized. While he's in the land of the living. He's seeing God's faithfulness work out. He's saying. I will not see the Lord. The Lord in the land of the living. If I go on to be with God. I will, I will look on man. No more. Among the inhabitants of the world. And then in 17. He says. Lo. For my own welfare. I had great bitterness. You get the sense of great pressure. It is you God. Who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit. Cannot hope for your faithfulness. Once you've gone to the other side. You're no longer in a position in the land of the living. To be able to thank the Lord. And to see his faithfulness. And so he says in 19. It is the living who give thanks to you as I do today, Hezekiah says. And a father has the opportunity right now in the land of the living to tell his sons about your faithfulness while they have opportunity. Because the Lord will surely save me, which he did. So we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life that remains for Hezekiah In the house of the Lord. And the Lord gave Hezekiah 15 more years. And that's exactly what he did with his days. Living them out. Telling his kids about the faithfulness of God. And singing to the Lord these great songs. In the house of his God. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what even this afternoon holds. But we do know there's an incredible revelation in the end of glory. For those that look and look to the Lord in order to be saved. Next week, we will pick up in this same chapter of Romans 8 because Paul didn't end there. He said, well, that's incredible. Just let, that's the end of it, right? That's, the, that's, the, that's what he wanted us to hear. No, he's gonna go on and say, and by the way, you have someone that, that intercedes for you. You have someone who's got your back in this while you're in this hupomone experience of groaning and nothing can separate you From His love. We'll also look at a couple incredible narratives of people that had to live out and walk by faith, trusting in an unseen God and and yet seeing His hand at work. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you've given to us. Thank you for the reality that we do have a confident expectation, that we hope and eagerly await the redemption of our bodies and the glorification with you our Messiah, our Christ, our Savior. And that and in that day, we'll be able to even see the, the animal kingdom and the creation itself also set free from this corruption and slavery that they're in bondage to and decay and this cycle that goes on seemingly forever. You will bring it one day to an end. Lord, help us to look to you and let our faces be radiant and understand that you've given us more than just an inkling of the future, but you've given us these glimpses of things like what Peter, James, and John got to see. And we too will glow with great glory and splendor and majesty alongside you. Help us to never lose that hope and therefore be able to persevere as we walk forth. And may we be excited together next week to open your word again. And to see how your spirit intercedes for us. And you, Christ Jesus, intercede before the Father. And that nothing will separate us from your great and awesome love. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.